and welcome to episode 16 of In the Shadow of the Evening Trees. My name is David Von Ebers. And I'm Jennifer Von Ebers. And welcome. Um, it is Pride Month. Uh, as we're recording this on a Thursday evening, unrelated to that topic, <laughs> Congress is holding televised hearings into the January 6th um, insurrection uh, that followed uh, Trump losing the um, presidency in the 2020 election. And uh, uh, I'm not tuning in tonight. No. I mean, it's not a negative thing. I'm glad they're doing it. I'm glad it's televised. But... Um, I don't know if I have the, what do they say, the bandwidth for yes. tonight. But having said that, I hope people, if they don't watch it, um, are paying attention, you know, watch clips of it and so forth to keep themselves informed about what happened. And uh, it is a very serious thing. Um, I was thinking about on my own personal Instagram, I actually, on January 6th, when, when all this nonsense was unfolding, I actually posted a little video on my Instagram. I never, on that platform, talk about politics or anything of the kind. So it was a little out of character, but just, you know, kind of shows how insane things were. So uh, that's not the subject of our... Um, Normal would be talking about the Johnny Depp and Amber. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, the January 6th thing is a little more serious yes. than that. But yes. in any event, right, right. Um, but uh, we do want to talk some about uh, pride and, and uh, something, some things about, I can't speak tonight. It's a Thursday night, so uh, we're drained yeah, from a long week already. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, we do want to talk some about the history of pride. But, you know, we haven't been recording on a regular schedule. And I think, you know, there's a number of reasons we've been busy. But but also, and one of the things I want to talk about kind of up front at the beginning of the show is that for me, the last few weeks have been really difficult, um, not related to pride or the subject matter of this show in general, but relating really, or, or I should say due to, um, you know, the latest school shooting down in Texas. Mm -hmm. um, and and I was thinking about this, uh, and I don't want to just like not comment on it, but but I haven't been able to comment on it. I haven't been able to kind of really put any coherent ideas or thoughts together because it's been such a difficult thing. And for some reason, I mean, it's horrific, obviously, that's, that's the reason, but for some reason, I feel like this one this incident, this mass murder of innocent school kids uh, was harder uh, to sort of, I hate the word process, but I don't know what, I, I don't know how else to put it. Harder to like deal with, harder to wrap my head around. And I don't really know why that is. I mean, again, obviously in part it's because it was horrific, but we've had so many of these things. Yeah, it's not like it's the first the time. And right. more recently, uh, a slew of them. Right, right. And But this is kind of like the one I feel like kind of broke me. And, you know, we've actually sat down to try to record, um, and I found it like like I couldn't concentrate. Um, and, and I think, you know, uh, I was... Um, exchanging messages with a co-worker earlier and um, who, who doesn't live in this area, he lives out in New York, but um, I, I was saying that for some reason, maybe it's the cumulative effect of all of these things. 
know, all of these incidents that from Columbine to to this one in Texas, that just gets to be overwhelming, right? But and also, I think the other, you know, the other hard part with this particular one, aside from again the fact that school children were murdered, is that it came, you know, just a short period of time after the incident that we talked about on our last show. Right. Um, you know, the 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 murder in in uh, Buffalo, uh, New York, the the, grocery store. the racist murder of you know innocent black people just out grocery shopping, and then and then from that horror. We have this incident with um, these school children in Texas. And, you know, I mean, I go back to Sandy Hook, which was, you know, just beyond belief and wasn't really that long ago when you think about it. And a lot of folks said at the time, if the murder of 20, you know, kindergartners wasn't going to change anything in America, then nothing would change anything in America. And while that's really, you know, unfortunately a true statement, in some ways I think what happened um, in Texas is is um, is almost more impactful, not because of the number of um, victims or their ages, but because I feel like maybe we actually know more about, I hate to put it this way, but, you know, the gruesome details of the incident. Uh, and I could be wrong, uh, but we were certainly paying attention back in the sure. days of Sandy Hook. And, and, you know, Congress just held a hearing the other day where they had a doctor testify, you know, in graphic terms about what he saw and how badly injured the victims. Well, injured is a, obviously an understatement, but how badly their bodies were affected by, you know, the, the bullets and. And I sit there and I think, you know, I, I obviously not I haven't seen images, but but this was testimony before Congress. So it's out there. It's hard not to have at least seen quotes from this this doctor. And so, you know, I sit there at my desk staring at the computer thinking, you know, what am I supposed to do with this? I, I, I know this. I understand what happened. But what am I supposed to do with this information? I mean, obviously, I'm. There's a there's a simple answer, you know, get involved, get active, vote, advocate for change and so forth. Yeah, I, but that's not what I'm talking about. Obviously, those are things we should all do. But I mean, what do you do when you're sitting at your desk trying to work and you have this information in your head? Right. Yeah. Um, and then and then there's the fact that this information is out there. You know, everybody knows about this doctor's um, testimony and and all of the other sort of gruesome details but it doesn't move certain people right we're living in a country where there are people who aren't moved by this and their solution is give teachers guns <laughs> yeah but i mean i honestly believe that's fake i i think that's fake i think there's there's a there's a segment of the population that really doesn't care and so what do you do with that information exactly that's another layer (laughs) right it's bad enough it's important and i'm glad i know it frankly but it's bad enough to know the the horrific details of what someone did to third and fourth grade children but there are people who don't 
care, who aren't moved by that, right? And they're, they're sharing, they're not just sharing the planet, they're sharing the country, they're sharing the city and state where you live, they could be right down the street from you. And they know what happened to these kids. They know that parents had to give DNA samples to identify these kids. They know that one mom had to identify her daughter by the shoes she was wearing to school that day because there was nothing else to identify. And they, that information doesn't move some people. They hear it, they see it. You know, they saw Matthew McConaughey speaking at the White House the other day and they said, Oh, he's grandstanding. He's from that town. That's where he grew up. He went to the White House and his wife was sitting in the audience holding the shoes that a mother had to use to identify her daughter because that was the only piece of evidence, not to use a clinical or sanitized term, but the only thing that they could use to identify a child. And people said he was grandstanding. People who, you mentioned Johnny Depp, people who believed Johnny Depp's testimony on the witness stand, thought he was telling the truth, thought Matthew McConaughey was grandstanding because people in his hometown had to go through this. I don't mean to raise my voice. Well, yeah, actually, I do mean to raise my voice. It is. It's important. And it's like scary that that's America now, that that's how people think and can generalize between two different things. And if you can, you know, if you're a, if you're a, a politician in government or if you're supporting politicians and your reaction is to come up with these, you know, absurd solutions, armed teachers, like you mentioned, you know, there shouldn't be so many open doors or, you know, talking about limiting the number of entrances and exits. All this stuff that's nonsense. All this, you know, the good guy with the gun. The only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy. It's all cliches. They know it. They know it's meaningless. It's trite. It's laughable. But they're saying it because they know their voters don't care. They know that the people who will go to the polls in their congressional districts and their states don't care. And those are the people that we have to share a country with. It's bad enough, you know, mentioning January 6th, that there are people who thought it was okay for the president of the United States to steal an election that he lost. They thought it was okay to use force to threaten and intimidate Congress to try to take our votes away from us and overthrow the results of, a, of an election. It's bad enough that there are people who did that. But to not even care about school children being blown apart in their classroom while the police cowered outside because the weapon that the killer used was so powerful, they were afraid. They were afraid to go into that 
room to save those kids. And there are politicians who are going to say nothing. Nothing. They'll belch a lot of hot air, frankly, but it, it won't mean anything. And people are going to go and vote for them anyway. And they don't care. Anyway. It is infuriating. That's, that's only one outrage. <laughs> but I mean, it is. And I think, I mean, obviously Sandy Hook um, was not, was it 10 years ago for Sandy Hook? I don't know the exact um, date. But anyway, I think there is more details this time. What is more that it's affecting people because obviously it's a horrible situation, but it is, we have three kids. You, you, you think about like dropping your kid off at school and not being able to pick them up. And, you know, I think <laughs> you talk about the accumulative effect of this. I mean, we, you know, as parents, we've lived with this really for the entire time this has been going on since Columbine. Our oldest was three years old when Columbine happened in 1999, and she started preschool that fall. Columbine happened in April. By fall, she was in school, and we had kids in elementary school, junior high school, high school, and, and college ever since then. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and our youngest is now in college and you might say, oh, well, you know, at least they're not in high school or elementary school anymore. Yeah, well, guess what? Northern Illinois University, Virginia Tech, those incidents happen too. I mean, I'm not, you know, thinking it's going to happen at, at, at our kid's school, but even colleges aren't safe, right? True. Right. So you can't even say, oh, well, thank goodness, you know, our, our uh, kids are no longer in, in elementary or high school. So, I mean, I think that has a, a lot to do with just the weight of it, is that we've been dealing with this, you know, for 23 years, as long as our children have been in school. And I just, like, think that, especially for those parents who ran to the school to see what the situation is, and then when your kid doesn't come out, you know, and you're just, like, right. standing there waiting and right. wondering what's happened. Well, I do want to I do want to shift um, gears, I'm, you know. It was good to to vent and to and to get that that out there, and I think people need to um, you know to think about it, to do something about it, to to well, vote. It is. It's too big not to talk about. It is too big not to talk about it, and I think you know that we could, although it's not really the subject that we normally talk about, we could do an entire episode on the Second Amendment and Supreme Court decisions and kind of you know how we got to the place that we're in and where we can go from here. I can tell you, um, you know, it's sort of grim in terms of what we can do about it, but that's a subject for a different, you know, episode, and we'll come back to that another time. We'll circle back. On we'll that. circle back in corporate speak. But I do, you know, so since it's, um, since it's Pride Month, and we haven't recorded anything yet this month, this is our first um, a shot at it, um, a shot at it, that doesn't even make any sense. Yeah. Our first uh, uh, episode of the month. I think we should maybe, you know, switch gears and talk about that. Um, and uh, so more bad news. Um, you know, here we are in the middle of Pride Month. And yet uh, a thing that we've talked about many times in the past uh, continues to go on, which is the way politicians and other political actors demonize 
the community um, and, and uh, you know, use the worst possible imaginable language to describe people in the community. But it's even worse than that right now because there's this, there's been this ongoing, you know, attacks, uh, a series of attacks on trans people and non-binary people, things with all these crazy bathroom bills and laws that prevent kids from playing sports and all this. And we've talked about those things in the past. We'll certainly talk about them in the future. But I've noticed this year, and especially, you know, this month in the middle of Pride, there's this sort of especially pernicious thing going on where not only are the usual suspects attracting, uh, attacking you know, trans and non-binary people, but there also seems to be this effort to sort of drive a wedge between, you know, gay, lesbian, bisexual people on the one hand and, and trans and non-binary and gender non-conforming people on the other. And it's gross and it's cynical, but it really seems to be pronounced this, this Pride Month. Um, you know, for example, we've had, as a distraction from the school shootings and the need for gun control, we've had, you know, places, uh, states passing laws um, that, that say things, you know, crazy things like, oh, children can't be exposed to, you know, to drag queens, right? That, that seems to be like this crazy thing. Partly, I think, because a lot of conservatives don't really understand what drag is. Right. Um, it's primarily an aesthetic more than anything else. There are drag performers who are in fact trans, but there are drag performers who are gay and bi. There are drag performers who are straight. There, it, it is not some sort of all-encompassing thing right. that has anything really to do. I mean, it's clearly gender non-conforming in the sense of people wearing clothes that you wouldn't necessarily expect them to wear. <laughs> That's a weird way to put it. No, but I mean, but I mean, you know, there's all sorts of different folks within that, uh, within that part of the community. But I think in the minds of conservatives who have, have become suddenly obsessed with drag performers, you know, they imagine that they're all trans or non-binary, which isn't necessarily the case. But it's part of the attack on the trans community and anybody who doesn't fit, you know, sort of rigid gender norms and then it's not but it's not just people from from the the right who are doing this more and more i see people on the left pretending to take these arguments seriously and saying oh well you know we don't really understand how trans people fit into this you know the um the community and do are you know it's one thing to protect gay people but should we be equally protecting trans i mean this is coming from the left not just from the right there is a, uh, a former Rolling Stone reporter who I'm not even going to name because he gets way too much attention, way more than he deserves. He um, was shown the door at Rolling Stone, and now he's one of these Substack bros who, you know, <laughs> uh, just works on his own. And he interviewed a, a, a woman who purports to be a feminist. I'll let you decide whether this is even remotely consistent with being feminist. But she, in her interview, said something along the lines of, um, well, you know, they, quote unquote, added the T to LGBT. They added trans people to the movement. They're really not part of the movement. I don't know who they are, um, you know, but of course, that's, you know, you say things that way to avoid any kind of accountability. 
The woman who said this, by the way, I'm not even going to give her name because, again, I'm not going to give these people attention. But the woman who said this is like 50 years old. So she has no excuse for not knowing the history. Yeah. But if you're not sure of the history, I'm going to tell you. (laughs) I'm going to talk about where uh, pride comes from, where the movement came from, and how it got started some 50 plus years ago, and explain to you why trans and non-binary people were fundamental, a fundamental part of the movement from the very beginning. So by now, a lot of people are familiar with the Stonewall uprising that happened in June um, 1969, and that's why June is Pride Month. Stonewall, as you may know, was a bar in New York City in the West Village neighborhood. Um, it's still a bar in New York City in the West Village neighborhood, but it was in, in the 60s. Um, and it, w- it was a gathering place for people from, you know, across the community, not just gay people. I mean, I think we have this image in our mind when you talk about the early days of the gay rights movement. You basically imagine white, cisgender, gay men. And that's sort of like the image that people have. But Stonewall was a gathering place for people of all different races and ethnicities, people of all economic backgrounds men and women alike, but also it was a gathering place for trans and non-binary people. Um, And one of the things that was happening at the time in New York City and other places all over the country was that cops were continually harassing not just gay people, but everyone in the community. You know, there were laws against sort of public displays of being gay, right? So the cops would come into Stonewall and they'd see two men, you know, dancing or two women dancing and they would bust them. They'd arrest them. But they also had laws that prohibited wearing clothing that in the minds of the police and the city authorities, uh, you know, were not appropriate for your gender or what they perceived your gender to be. So that meant dress, dressing as, you know, the opposite gender of what you were born with, whatever, however you want to put it, um, was against the law. So they harassed trans people too, is the point. And they harassed drag queens and they harassed, uh, you know, non-binary people um, who weren't dressed appropriately in the minds of the cops. So... All of these folks were victims of the same type of, uh, of police harassment. So on the fateful night of June 28th, 1969, the cops came in to bust the bar and Marsha P. Johnson, a black trans woman, and Sylvia Rivera, a trans Latina, said, no, we're not taking it. And that's what kicked off the riot. The people who started the Stonewall riot were trans. And not only that, there was a black trans woman and a trans Latina who started the Stonewall riots, or as I like to call it, the Stonewall uprising. So fast forward a year, you know, in a sense, Stonewall itself was, despite all the harassment from the cops and all that, it was kind of like this idyllic environment where People from all these different backgrounds came together. People from all parts of the LGBTQ plus community came together. And, you know, they managed to make kind of a family, many of them having been rejected by their own families. So fast forward a year, it's June 1970. And the people who were at Stonewall on that night and the regulars who were 
you know, would hang out there, wanted to commemorate the uprising. So they decided to march from the Stonewall Inn in the West Village all the way up to Central Park. And then in Central Park, they were going to have speakers and so on and so forth. And it begins, the march begins as a fairly small number of people. And in fact, one of the, uh, one of the uh, guys who was involved at the time said in a, in a documentary, which I'll mention in a moment, um, that they walked in single file when they started out because uh, they wanted it to look like a real march, he said. And there were not that many of them. And then he realized as they headed north towards Central Park through Midtown, they realized that people were coming off the streets and joining it. And the size of the crowd got bigger and bigger. And, and this was sort of, you know, uplifting and encouraging. By the time they get to Central Park, there's a very large crowd of people. So pause the story right there. You know, this would seem to be this really, really great moment, right? Uh, people from, you know, all these different neighborhoods and communities joining in, supporting this march, in, in honor of the one-year anniversary of the uprising. Well, wasn't quite so idyllic once they got to Central Park and the speakers were, you know, talking to the crowd. Sylvia Rivera, again, a trans woman who was one of the people who actually started the uprising, wanted to speak to the crowd. And the organizers didn't want her to. The predominantly white male gay organizers didn't want her to. They thought, you know, that was a little bit too much. You know, people wouldn't accept, people outside the community wouldn't accept a trans woman. And maybe they were uncomfortable with her being a Latina instead of white, whatever. They tried to block her from speaking. And when she finally got the microphone, this crowd of Mostly white men and, you know, cisgender gay men start booing and yelling at her and telling her to shut up and, you know, cussing at her and all this. So you go from this almost idyllic environment to one year later, it's like the movement itself fractured, right? And what happened after, and I'm not, you know, Stonewall is a very important incident. We have to recognize it. We have to remember it. But... The movement splintered and fragmented and it became not as, let's say, inviting or welcoming of people other than basically white, cisgender, gay and lesbian people. Um, you know, there were black members of the community, obviously. There were Latina and Asian and indigenous people who were part of the community, but they were not fully embraced and they were not treated particularly well. And trans and non-binary people were being kind of held at a bit of a distance, even though they contributed greatly to the movement. And again, even though, you know, Marsha Johnson and Sylvia Rivera were like the, as George Costanza would say, the instigators, right. <laughs> um, you know, uh, so and it took, you know, most of the time from 1970 until, you know, very, very recent times for these disparate parts of the community to sort of come back together and for the, you know, sort of more accepted um, uh, white cisgender male gay uh, leaders of the movement to be more welcoming and more embracing of different people and, and also maybe to step back a little and allow, 
you know, other people to take a leadership role. So this is why it's so offensive today to hear people, especially people on the left, saying, okay, you know, we're all for same-sex marriage. We're all for gay rights. Uh, but can we stop talking about trans people? Can we stop talking about non-binary people? God forbid, you know, letting uh, drag queens read to school children. You know, I've I personally on social media had people say, you know, you guys are pushing too far, you know, and, and this is like a huge step backwards. And it's all happening like during Pride Month. We finally are getting to the point where the, the community is more embracing of everybody, including trans people. And, and a lot of people are trying to, you know, force another wedge between gay folks and lesbians and bisexual people on the one hand and transgender and non-binary people on the other. And it's, it's absolutely insane and it has to stop. It just has to stop. So, by the way, since I rattled off all of this information over the past, you know, 10 minutes or so, most of this comes from uh, a documentary called, I have, to, I have to wake up my computer because I want to get it right. It's called Stonewall Forever. It's, it's not that long. Look it up on YouTube. It's about 22 minutes long. Um, it was produced by the LGBT, LGBT Center of New York. Um, they are, they have a Facebook page, a website, uh, you know, other social media presence, but look it up. It's called Stonewall Forever. It's on, uh, on YouTube and you can probably find it in another, um, things. And I should point out that the documentary goes way beyond that initial period, right? So it goes all the way up to around, you know, the 50th anniversary of Stonewall and talking about, how much more involved trans and non-binary folks have become in the movement, and also intersex people too, by the way. There's a really interesting part of the documentary about intersex folks as well, who are also obviously an important part of the community. And so I, I highly recommend it. It's more uplifting than the bit that I shared with you because it does go and talk about where we are today and how, you know, um, we've we've come the movement as a whole has, has come far but it's really great um and one other thing i wanted to point out which i did not learn from this documentary but there was an incident three years prior to stonewall in san francisco in san francisco there was a restaurant called compton's that was a, a hangout it was a restaurant not a bar as i understand it but it was a hangout for the community and Again, similar to Stonewall in the early days, it was a broadly representative community. It included non-binary and trans people and so forth. And the restaurant owners apparently at one point decided that they would no longer serve trans folks. They were okay with gay and bi people coming in, but not trans folks. Well, the community uh, rioted. You know, gay folks, gay and, and lesbian and bi people supported trans people. They boycotted the restaurant, um, you know, they broke windows and so forth. But again, that just goes to show you how integral trans and non-binary people have been to the movement all along. Not to mention people who aren't necessarily white, you know, like, again, Marsha Johnson, Sylvia Rivera, many, many other people, uh, black folks and people of color who've been part of this all along. So I guess the thing that I would leave people people with the thought that I would leave people with is 
This movement has to be all inclusive. You cannot split it, separate it, dissect it, say one group gets more rights than the others. You have to be all in for everybody or it makes no sense. You know, we all we all lose. So that's what I would leave you with. That's a, a good sentiment to leave on. Um, we hope we're glad that you joined us this evening. And um, as always, you can find us where you download and listen to your podcast. We're on many platforms. Right. Apple, Stitcher, um, Pandora. I'm going to forget there's others, but you know. Yes. You know where the kids. You know where to find it. <laughs> you know where the kids get their podcasts. And if you have any questions or comments for us, please leave them below.